Good morning, all. I wanted to talk today about my son, James. I remember, like, being extremely excited about him. I I was raised like a Roman Catholic, and and I I really identified with sort of getting your MRS as in getting married, <laughs> getting married and having children. <laughs> it was sort of your, your, honestly, your option in life. Like if you're, you were either going to, you know, become a nun or you were going to get married and have children and in that order, of course. And so I, I was, um, and all my friends were getting married around me, and I had had boyfriends. I had boyfriends, but I, I, I got married, and and I'm sorry that I'm him hawing around this. However, I just wanted to describe what it was like at that time. Like, I think it's different now. I really do. But when I was young, you, I mean, it was back in a time when like sex outside of marriage was like a really still like a very bad thing. Now in some circles it still is, but, (laughs) but I have to say as a generality, I think people have moved past that idea. And so I I I got married and and it took me quite a while to actually conceive a child. I don't know why I um but it did. And then I had had gotten pregnant and as soon as we told anybody and it was also Father's Day. This is so weird. I miscarried. So I had lost that baby. And then I had to go in and they they did some like I guess procedures on me and um and then they said, you know, I was fine to like try again. And so we tried again and voila very quickly I was indeed pregnant again and so I and I really liked being pregnant actually I, I enjoyed that great a great deal and my favorite part was like feeling the baby move and like <laughs> them like they would like kick and you would be able to feel it and see it on the outside of your belly. It was like the coolest thing ever. Um, and I, and I remember having this like ultrasound and finding out it was a boy. I really didn't know. I had, I really, except I will say that I was quite shocked and like, oh my God, what am I going to do with a boy? Because I had grown up with girls. Like, I had sisters and even girl dogs. Like, and then my mom, the only person in my house was that was 
like a boy was my dad. I'm like, oh my God, what? how am I going to raise a son? Oh my God. And, and then I, um, I had gone into labor and, and we were at the hospital and I, I really, I'm going to describe this, I guess, partly because I just think that it's sort of important. Um, so I, I go into labor and I'm just really not progressing very well. Um, they're trying to do everything. I'm, I'm like walking and, and, uh, and I'm just really not progressing in my labor very well at all. Um, and everything is just very slow and they start talking about giving me this chemical like Pitocin. And so at this point I'm, I've been, I think I've been in labor for at least 12 hours and and I said, okay, well, I guess I will get a a epidural. So I I get this epidural and and almost immediately after um, it was so weird, and I have this recollection that my husband left. He left the hospital having me be seemingly very comfortable. He leaves the hospital to go check the trees. He had planted these four trees in the front yard, and it was really windy and stormy, and he wanted to go check the trees. <laughs> this is crazy, but it's true. So he leaves, and while he's gone, all hell breaks loose. And and my son's heart rate goes way down. And the next thing I know, all of these people, like, ascend on the room. Like, they're all, like, hovering over me, and they're flipping me, and one guy's, you know, checking my the position of the baby and like where I'm at, like as far as my dilation. And I mean, then another one just comes in and gives me this shot to like stop labor. And they're telling me, you may have to have a cesarean. And I'm like, totally fine with that. I'm like, just, okay, just make sure my baby's okay. And then his heart rate kind of flips back up. They say that they think that he had been leaning on his his umbilical cord, they say. Sometimes that happens. So they, they lead. So I, and then I'm also flipped over onto the side and I refuse to move. So I'm over on my, my right side and I'm holding on to the rail on the side of the bed and I'm like I'm I will I refuse to move because I'm afraid and so they sort of leave me for a while I remember a friend coming in <laughs> this was so interesting she came in to check on me and she brought me um prongs from it was it must have been um Palm Sunday so 
I'm I'm holding on to these. You got this image. I'm I'm <laughs> laying on my right side, holding on to the bars so as not to fall backwards onto my back, and I'm holding on to these prongs from Mass, <laughs> from from Palm Sunday. You know. Anyway, so finally, you know, when they're giving me this pitocin, and and I and I. I think I may have actually had some relief and some rest, but then the next thing that I actually remember, they they come in and they and something happens, and I'm just like I'm starting to really kind of lose it because at this point I can feel my. I can feel contractions coming again and I'm and I'm and it had been 24 hours by this stage so it had been 12 hours later so it's like three something in the morning and I'm just I I'm just like I just don't even know what to do and then they're like okay it's time to push and so <laughs> and so well, actually, they come in, they give me this shot. They give me some shot, like some random shot. I don't even know what it was. It was like some, um, and it was, I feel like I actually kind of fell asleep for like, like 30 seconds or something. And then I wake up and the next thing I know, the doctor is, and she hadn't been there the whole time, just, just saying. She walks in and she uh pulls out these these forceps she and she has one nurse is holding one leg another nurse is holding the other leg over my head and two nurses are pushing on the top of the baby Okay, like on my belly. They're pushing on my belly, on the top of my belly to push the baby out. And she grabs these forceps. And in like one moment, she just pulls him out. And it was like really, really traumatic for me. However, this thing happened where she... she lifted him up in such a way that I could see his face and I it was like I looked at him and it was like his soul it was like a, I'm looking at this child I'm like oh my god and I could see his soul and I just started to cry and my and my husband at the time he was like are you okay and I'm like yeah, he's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I was just crying. And I remember they put him in my arms very, very briefly. So they put him in my arms very briefly. Um, and he felt really heavy to me. Like I was like, oh my God. Um, he was eight pounds, 13 ounces. And, uh, and then they whisked him away. And I told my husband, I said, go with him. Go with the baby. Like, you know, make sure they don't switch our baby in the hospital. <laughs> anyway, so I, um, 
it took a while for me to recover, actually. I, I was really traumatized by that birth for a couple of weeks. I couldn't even think about it without crying because um, it was really awful. Um, and, <laughs> for, and I think for both of us, the poor kid, he had like these really, really cherry cheeks. Uh, I noticed in pictures from the forceps. And so, so I'm raising this little baby. I just like really, he was just the cutest little thing and really, really sweet, like a sweet, sweet soul. And I'm raising him. I, I was a really, really conscientious mother. I, I was with him all the time. I wasn't working. So I was a full-time mom and, and I just loved this baby. I just loved him. We had parties for him. I remember we had this bunny party for him when he was, I think he was a year old. Um, I'm trying to keep time straight and I really can't because it seemed like, it, well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, so, so he is getting older and he, he, I get, I'm just trusting along just as fine. And you, you, the thing about me that is really, is I had read all these books. I had read all these books on childhood development. And I had, um, and I kept really, really, really strong records on him about what he did and what he did when. And, um, and he was about, 19 months old when he had his immunization. Now, I remember that I would ask the doctor, his pediatrician, I said, you know, because we were on some government program, I'm not entirely sure how our insurance was at the time, because my husband was like self-employed. I'm not even sure we had insurance. I don't remember. But I asked them, I said, I said, um, will this be on a, it, it, are the government shots different than the other shots? And the pediatrician looked at me funny. Um, but I had this general, like, I just wasn't sure about these shots. I mean, I really wasn't. So he, so, but he gets his shots and I think in like October and then I think it was December 7th. I'm really weird about dates and remembering stuff. And I, I wake, he wakes up or something. He's about 20 months old at this point. And he, and, and he's like blazing hot. He's like blazing, blazing hot. So I'm like, okay. So I, I, I think I may have given him some Tylenol, but I'm not sure. I go and I run and I get one of my little books on development and and actually it's just really strange because I came to this page that had something to do with fibrial seizures and I was like oh that's never going to happen to him and I and so I go and, I, and I'm laying next to him and all of a sudden he's he's acting weird and he has a seizure ends up having a seizure and I remember my husband um, t 
taking him and like holding him up and me calling and I call the 911 in a complete panic and I'm just screaming and scared and the lady said like lady you need to calm down like she's like just listen I'm going to tell you what to do and I'm like oh okay and so she tells me to take all of his clothes off and and to um and to uh put like not hot or cold like she called tidbit claws on him and I wasn't really sure to do that because it was the winter but I did and I put these claws all over him and by this point the paramedics have come so they come in and they and they tell me well there's not really much they can do they suggested I not go to the hospital but I'm sitting here with this baby on my chest who feels like a heat lamp I mean he just he felt like a heat lamp like literally and so I told my husband I said I'm sorry we've got to take him I I was so scared so we take him to the hospital and and then um, I remember they gave him some mystery shot they gave him some shot I don't know I think it may have been a, this huge shot of antibiotics or something but and so and he was sick a lot I'm just remembering he had like ear infections a lot and he had these really 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 rosy cheeks all the time eczema and he was developmentally like as far as his physicality he was physical development he was doing just great and but when he turned about um my family would do what I called these interventions too. like my brother-in-law would come over and say you know shouldn't he be talking more and shouldn't he be toilet trained and like you know and I took these things very very to heart because I was a very conscientious mother and I felt like they were somehow saying that I was a bad mom and then um, and then honestly I, I remember potty training him it was really really awful so I didn't potty train my other two children I just let them train themselves because I was didn't do a good job with my first son and but he got potty trained and then he went to preschool and I remember all of this was happening at the same time right before he turned four and I know this is kind of a side but it was just because my my nephew at the time had cancer so my nephew has cancer and is dying of cancer at the same time that my family is doing a full stop intervention. So they have my my cousin come out. They tell me that she's coming out for a New Year's Eve party. So my cousin comes and she actually had three autistic children. 
So she had had three, I mean, how does this even happen? But she had a child and he was diagnosed autistic while she was pregnant with twins. Um, she has the twins and then it was really, really tragic. Her, her oldest son passed away. We actually went to his funeral because it was Thanksgiving and her family could not get there. So we drove to Irvine to go to the funeral of my cousin's baby. And, and I was pregnant with James at the time. So my cousin Maureen comes out and she brings one of her children, one of her, her twin autistic boys, actually the worst of the two. So my son, who did engage in some really kind of different behaviors, like he used to run around the, the outside of the backyard with a stick. I'm laughing. <laughs> Because it does. <laughs> it sounds so crazy, but like I didn't care, folks. I didn't care. I loved this child. I knew that he wasn't like other children, and I didn't care. I didn't care that he wasn't like other children. I accepted him exactly as he was. <laughs> So yeah, it's like, you know, so I, I buy into this thing, hook, line, and think, sinker. So I'm asking my cousin, you know, yeah, is that like typical for children to like run around the periphery? And she says, well, no. And then by the time that, that she is leaving, she has him diagnosed what they call PDD NOS, pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. Basically, we're not really sure what category your child is. Um, and I remember my husband at the time crying one time. And he took me into his office. And he was like, is James going to become like his cousin? And, and, and I was really just trying to console him because that child was, while was functioning, was, was, and he was like, at the time, I, I'm not sure how old he was. I couldn't tell you, but it was, he was very, very challenging. He was a very challenging child at the time. So then my sister confesses that there was no New Year's Eve party, that my family had orchestrated all of this for her, my cousin to come out and to look at James and hopefully there would be nothing to see. But they were all very, very concerned. And, and yes, they did an intervention. And so this opened an entire ball of worms that I cannot even, would not even be able to tell you if I even tried as to the amount of tests that my child went through. Blood tests and um, MRIs and EE, e e what do you call them? Not EEGs, but these things on your brain where they're testing the waves. I mean, it was, 
It was utterly insane. Then psychological evaluations where every single one of them, I would cry. And I remember the, the woman who actually initially diagnosed him left this message on my machine saying that my child had extensive neurological issues, extensive neurological issues on an answering machine. But one thing that she did that was really great was she got us involved in the, um, God, I don't even know if I can remember the name, but it was a, a program in Phoenix where you, um, you get set up with these doctors and it's like a teaching hospital and they follow your child into adulthood. And you get these these appointments with first-rate doctors. So we got this appointment with a first-rate neurologist. And when he was young, he could get services with the the diagnosis of PDD and OS. But the, but by the time he turned five, he could not. And my child was not even diagnosed with PDD and OS till he was around four. So he was older, but he started on this whole stream of services. So he, he got occupational therapy and physical therapy, no, occupational therapy and speech therapy. And I had him in groups and I, he went to a developmental preschool. And, and so he, he had a lot of therapies. And I was a very busy mom because I had a, I had a two-year-old when he was diagnosed. Little girl. So I was quite, quite the mess. And, and I have to tell you, at, at that time, my, my nephew passed away. He passed away just before James's fourth birthday. So it was a rough year. <laughs> So throughout his life, um, I did not tell him that he was autistic or I didn't give him any of his diagnoses. I just wanted him to develop his life. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is I mean, he was, he was liked in school, but he is absolutely loved by the community that we live in. People all over this town have taken him under their wing. Um, they're always stopping. They they know who he is. They wave at him because he walks everywhere at this point. And he is just kind of a staple of this community. Um. And most of the time it goes okay. I mean, there are some people who are not very tolerant. Um, there's been a couple of times that I've been really upset. Um, like, I'll give you an example of one time. He, well, he was going to this group. And, and my son is in a really weird situation, my friends. Because he's not, he's really, really as a high-functioning autistic. 
like he he talks and he's really friendly and he's you know he can walk although he walks he has a touch of cerebral palsy so his his body is really tight and so he walks a little bit differently than other people and he also walks on his toes he always has and I want to tell you a story about that now that I'm on to that topic I had done everything that I could humanly do to have him not walk on his toes if if there is a child who is walking on their toes you need to to start like when they're very very young to correct that you have to do it before they're three years old to correct it so if if and I'm just saying you have to um, because we had tried everything um, and he was very very resistant to um, physical therapy which would have been the, the one therapy that might have actually really helped with this um, he was very resistant like, and he wouldn't do the exercises and I certainly could not force him to do anything ever <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> and so and so what ended up happening was I took him to a spasticity specialist at the Children's Rehabilitative Services that's what it was called Children's Rehabilitative Services is the is the um clinic that I got him involved that he got involved in when he was like around four or five years old and he and so I took him to a spasticity specialist and, and I remember she walked in the room and she took a look at him and she you know and had him walk and she, she's and she you know was talking to him and she just and she she looked at me and she's like you know we could do Botox we could you know, we could put casts on this child. We could cut his Achilles, Achilles tendon and do all these things. But his brain is telling him to walk this way and he will return to walking this way. So it is my recommendation that we just make this child really comfortable. And so she had him fitted for these inserts in his shoes. <laughs> but she she walked out the door and then she walked back in and she said like where did he go to school and i and i told her she goes whatever you've done you've done a really good job you know how often do you ever hear that how often do you ever hear i mean most parents like a lot of parents do not understand what it is like to raise a child who is different in this society. They have no idea the extra efforts, although my children do, because they were privy to it. They were dragged along to all these therapies and they, and they also saw people staring at us. Or they also were asked, like one, one kid, one of somebody at my younger son's school said, "Did your brother have brain damage?" That's the way he worded it. Does your brother have brain damage? 
the challenges of being a sibling of a child with special needs or that is just different. Because my son hates the word special needs. He can't stand it. He's like, I have, he gets really mad. See, he's in a weird category. Like he doesn't really fit in anywhere. Like he's, he, however, he, he, he has a really hard time writing. Like his writing, I don't even know what grade level it is. If to give you a comparison, I just don't know. Like, and he can hardly write and math is really challenging. Although sometimes he really surprises me. Um, so things are starting to get a little more automatic in his brain as far as, as math, but it's been a long, long, long road, but he is an amazing, amazing human being. And then finally I, because he started to ask me because people were asking him, people were consistently asking him like, you know, what is your disability or what is your, what, you know, why are you like you are? Why are you this difference? I can tell you're different. What, what is that difference? And so I finally told him, well, you are diagnosed autistic. And he's like, well, what is autistic? And I sort of felt like you tell me, you tell me what is autistic? Because the DSM-5 has it as these characteristics. And every single person with autism is a bit different. And they have different characteristics. Not all people with autism walk on their toes. Not all people run the periphery of their backyard with a stick. Um, not all of them are do the same things. You know, and some of them have a really hard time talking. Some of them are so obsessive compulsive that you can't do anything outside of their schedule. I mean, they all, it's a spectrum. And so sometimes he will, he'll say, he, <laughs> he said something to me recently that I just found utterly astounding. He, um, he said, Mom, you know, I have learning disabilities, right? You know that. <laughs> and I started laughing. It was so funny. Um, but I, I'm going to gonna end this podcast, but I wanted to tell you something very significant. So when he was about 12 years old, it was like he had completely um, fell off a cliff. I mean, honestly, he was he was uh really not doing well uh i don't know if it was the hormones in his body or he told me that he was actually being bullied by some boys at school and he was in this resource group with him because he was taken out for resource my my child was never in, a, in an autism a, ch a classroom filled with autistic children i did that on purpose because i did not want him to to emulate them. I wanted him to emulate typically developing children. So my child was always in a regular school in a regular classroom with supports. Some of those supports were in the classroom and some of them were 
where he was taken out for resource time. And I guess some children were being mean to him in that resource time, but I did not know this. But anyway, so he develops these um, these rituals, and there's like things that he can't see. They're like triggers. And he's like afraid he, so at school he couldn't use the sink. He couldn't use, he couldn't sit at a computer um, screen there. He was afraid he was going to turn into someone else. <clears throat> Here's the other thing. He had seen War of the Worlds. And I think that this had a huge impact on him. His dad had taken him to see that movie. And when I saw it, it was horrifying. And it was around that time that he started to develop complete obsessive compulsive disorder, which is a disorder. When it becomes a disorder, it is incredibly difficult. It is incredibly difficult. And, and so he would have me pick him up from school so I would come pick him up from school he would go home and he would do these water rituals for like a half an hour he would be doing these water rituals for like a half an hour no 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 not a half an hour for hours for like two hours so like when he would be getting ready for bed he would start at like 10 o'clock and he wouldn't be done till 12 <laughs> And my, and my husband at the time, it was driving him utterly crazy. So he ended up like changing the water pressure in the bathroom because he, he couldn't stand the sound of the sinks. Um, and somehow he knew how to do that because he was really good with things. So um, anyway, I tried everything. I got him this grab bag where if he could not do it, I would give him a grab. <laughs> I tried. Um, we also, at this point, we took him to a psychiatrist, and this was the point where we put him on medication. So he was on two different medications, and, and um, one of them was an antidepressant, and the other one was an antipsychotic medication named, I think it was called Risperdone. And that is a horrible medication that I would not recommend for anyone ever. I just want to put it out there. Uh, I'm going to share with you another story in just a second about Risperdone. Okay, so my so he's medicated, and um, we end up. Uh, he ends up the way he, he treated himself. This was so weird. And so like SpongeBob was a was a trigger which was really sad. And and Star Wars, anything Star Wars cuz he had loved Star Wars before this. I'm like, "What the heck?" So so um we end up going to this this uh pumpkin patch. So we're at this pumpkin patch and and he runs into somebody that he respects really likes this guy he's a he's a dad of, of the parent one of the the his fellow students and he and he looks at him and he's like well and he's wearing a Star Wars t-shirt and he's like well if he likes Star Wars then Star Wars is okay <laughs> and then he just got better he just got better, my friends. It was the weirdest thing. 
he got better. So, um, I'm having this memory. <laughs> I, um, anyways, I'm sorry. I just got locked in this memory that I'm not necessarily going to share. And so, and so, but this particular incident happened when we were at this certain house where he, he just categorically begged me to quit taking the medicine. And so I, I'm like, okay. So I got with the psychiatrist and we, he stopped taking the medicine. And, and it was, it was, it seems like it was kind of hard for a while. And then we took him to this, to this holistic type of healer and she put him on um, a dopamine, a plant derivative of dopamine. And that really helped him. And now he's he's not on anything. He was on that for a few years. And now he's not on anything. Um, and he does really well. He's a very, very sensitive, empathic person. So the hardest thing for him is that he knows how people feel. So when he when he's walking and he goes near someone, he can tell you about them without them even opening their mouth. He can like read people's energy like flawlessly actually. And he and he and so it's very very challenging for him. Um it's challenging for him to uh to just be around so many people and their different feelings and attitudes. I mean, even the friends that he has, their added, their their feelings, moods fluctuate, and that is hard for him. It's hard for him when I'm not even, and I'm. I mean, sometimes I'm. You know, my my emotions are fluctuate a bit, um, and he gets really upset, and he feels responsible, and I have to tell him. I have to tell him, you are not responsible for this. I have to tell him that, like emphatically. You are not responsible for this. And then he's like, oh, okay, mom. <laughs> okay, and then I swear this is the last story, and then I'll, I'll end this podcast. I remember one time I had this really good friend, and we used to meet up all the time with our children and they had would go down to this park that was within a stone's throw of the of the of her house and she, he had gone with his friends over there and then they had come back and he said mom he said this kid there said I was dumb and I said well what did you say and he said I'm not dumb. I know a lot about animals. <laughs> I really, 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 really aimed to instill a healthy self-esteem in him, in all of my children. But for him, it was, it was the hardest thing for me was the thought that people would make fun of him. That was the part that was the most heart-wrenching, was sending him in the world not knowing how people were going to react. And he's done a pretty good job. <laughs>
And there you have it. A lifetime in a life with somebody with autism. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'll be back with other ideas. And that's a wrap.